So my wife, Lori, got a phone call the other day from a woman dealing with some anxiety. The anxiety stemmed from all the stuff going on in the world. The, the, the chaos of the world was delivering chaos into her life. Well, today we have a conversation with Stephanie Roussel, who talks about how we can trust God even when life is confusing and how we can walk with God even when we're disappointed in him. Here's my conversation with Stephanie Roussel. Well, it is so good to have Stephanie Roussel with us today on our podcast. Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hi, Ron. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, we, uh, we go back a long way, and uh, we first met you back in the 90s. It's crazy. You haven't changed one bit since you were in high school. How, did, how does that work? Neither have you, Ron. We're good. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Now I I don't know if you can tell the truth the rest of the time. (laughs) Stephanie, you have a a great ministry, and we want to talk about that uh, in a little bit and the things that you're doing, a ministry called Gospel Spice, uh, many uh, facets to that ministry. But I wanted wanted you to really talk to uh, our audience, and there are a lot of uh, women uh, in, in your stage of life, right around your stage of life, uh, listening, you know, what is going on in the world? What's going on in my life? How do I even begin to process all this? Oh, well, that's, that's heavy. I think, and I can relate because I ask myself the same question sometimes. So this isn't like I have all the answers, but I can definitely enter into that situation with the person who would say that, because I could say that I totally get that. So I think it's the first thing is, to be able to enter into the person's story. And, and I would ask details of what it is that is confusing or unsettling. And, and that word confused is a word I have used to describe myself lately and trying to understand what is going on, whether it be, you know, international events or what's happening, uh, as you said, at my age, you know, when there's like all sorts of changes happening, kids are going off to college and there's empty nesting and then aging is not for the fate of heart and then the health issues and all the things that are happening internally and externally. And so um, there's countless examples of people, I think, nowadays. And I think it's part of the backlash from COVID is that we thought we would go back to normal, but there's no such thing as normal, quote unquote. And we're realizing that whatever the was buttressing or normal were actually was, was flimsy and was probably not good. And so as it's being taken away, those buttresses, I mean, picture, you know, I'm French. So picture a 12th century Gothic cathedral, picture Notre Dame or one of those churches with massive buttresses on either side to keep the building from collapsing. Because otherwise, actually, the building has so many windows that without those buttresses, there's not enough stone to hold the building together because of the vast expanse of windows. And think of it that way. The more windows you have into, if you're inside of you, right, the more windows you have to the outside world, the more you're going to need those buttresses to hold you together. And so if the buttresses you're using are not doing their job, then you're going to collapse. And I think that's what a lot of people are experiencing, the confusion that comes from actually a decent measure of self-awareness. So I think it's almost a good thing to feel that sometimes because it means you're in tune with what's happening inside of you and in the world around you, as opposed to bubble wrapping you in a little cocoon of your own making where you are absolutely immune to the world because you're not in touch. So in a way, the confusion is a almost a testament to your desire to be connected to what's happening in the world. So in a way, that's maybe the silver lining. 
And to take the, the cathedral metaphor, all those big, gorgeous stained glass windows, they're open to the world and the light comes in and it allows to illuminate everything. So again, it's because you have those windows to the world, to your own soul, that maybe there's some measure of confusion. So being aware of that is not a bad thing. And then I would say, um, if, if you're anything like me, you're, tr you're trying really hard to make sense of what's happening. And it's so important to understand. And I think our Western mindset, um, I, I, and I, one of my passions is to study cultures and how different cultures will interact with scripture and with their faith differently based on what the culture around us. I mean, I like to say fish doesn't know what water is, right? And we don't know the culture we swim in until we're taking the outside of it. So it's one of the things I love to do, having lived in a lot of different cultures. And so in this culture here, in our Western culture, we are wired to understand. And when we don't understand, it's confusing. I think maybe we should try and remember that the goal that God has might not be for us to understand necessarily what's happening, but to trust. And that's a paradigm shift for me when I remember, okay, Stephanie, you don't understand what's going on. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay to be confused because confusion doesn't mean you don't trust. It just means you don't understand. And that's okay. I mean, I cannot quote a single verse in scripture where God promises to explain all things to us until heaven. In heaven, yes. But until then, I think there's an element of um, a whimsical way to put it would be mystery. A more down to earth is just downright confusing. It is. And so the learning to trust him, even when I don't understand, when it doesn't make sense to me, where whether it be suffering or pain or just this fog concerning the future that so many of us can sense, I think it's almost an invitation to trust God in ways that are maybe so foreign to us. It tells me I have so much more I can discover about God. And one sentence from a dead guy I love, Andrew Murray, one sentence he says is the tender fatherliness of God. I'm stuck on that. Like I want to experience the tender fatherliness of God in ways that I can't even begin to imagine today. And he's answering my prayer by allowing me to experience confusion because that's the gateway towards the deeper trust into his fatherliness towards me. One of the dead guys I know you like is uh, J.I. Packer. Packer <laughs> is an uh, amazing theologian, amazing writer. And, you know, one of the things he says is when we share the gospel, but we don't remind people that after we trust in Christ, there are still going to be challenges— there's still going to be issues. So Packer says, you know, why would God allow some of those things to happen? Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to be dependent on him. So talk a little bit more. I love what you said about in our culture, we're wired to understand. And there are so many things about God that when we come down to it, our, our little temporal minds, how could we even think about comprehending an eternal God who's always been and always will be, but we're wired to understand. And I talk to so many people and they just say, you know, uh, maybe it's the, the war going on in Israel, right? I don't get it. I don't understand. And they get very anxious about not understanding 
But God's not saying, here are all the answers. He's saying at the end of the day, right, will you, will you trust me? Can you trust me? Talk a little bit about that trust. And it's so difficult, especially when it involves suffering. And I think that's part of the problem when we look at the war in Israel or in Ukraine, when we look at, you know, uh, one of the focus we have at Gospel Spice is to raise awareness against the fight in the fight against human trafficking. I mean, talk about pure evil. And so any of those areas where um, such evil is demonstrated, the question comes like, why would God allow this? It doesn't make sense. And, and for me, I don't have the answer, but I do know that I trust him. And I do know that it breaks his heart more than it breaks mine, because if only for the fact that he has a perfect awareness of what's going on, and I don't, I have a very partial awareness. I don't think I could handle the fullness of the weight of the reality of what's happening. It's, it's incomprehensible in the scope of evil. And yet at the same time, well, you know, it's just the classic argument. If he's perfectly sovereign, then he can't be fully loving, or if he's fully loving, then he can't be possibly sovereign. Otherwise he would stop all of this. Well, that's because we're in the middle of the story and the story's not over yet. At the end of the day, his full sovereignty and his full love are going to be on full display and there will be no more questions asked. I mean, Jesus says in that day, you will ask me nothing because we will see the fullness of his sovereignty and majesty and, and love fully demonstrated. But we just happen to be in the in-between. Does that mean that there's innocent victims? Well, yes, but I also believe in God's, uh, in the fact that he's fully just. And so he is going to somehow, in a way that I cannot begin to understand, he's going to redeem that one way or another. I, I don't, again, I don't need to understand. I think it's a 12th century monk, Ansel of Canterbury, who said, we don't understand in order to believe, we believe in order to understand. That is huge for the Western mindset where, again, if I don't understand something, then I don't have to believe it. No, no. It's, and it's, again, you know, in a language I'm more familiar with, with, uh, you know, on our ministry, we talk a lot about food. And so I like to say that I can tell you a lot about really good, high quality French dark chocolate. I can tell you about the flavors, the textures, e even the, the shapes and the colors of it. I, I can tell you about the acidity and the sweetness and, and all of the various elements of the taste of it. But there's going to come a point where if you do not choose to take a bite out of the dark stuff, you're not going to know what I'm talking about. You're going to have to experience it in order to believe it. And so it is with faith. And so it's, I, I think it's, we need to give God a little bit of credit sometimes. I think we forget to give God credit for being God. And we say all the right things, but the question is, do we actually believe them? And if it is so difficult and we are so confused, at least for myself, I challenge the depth of my own belief. And I ask him, Lord, I believe, overcome my unbelief because confusion is removed by that deeper trust, which comes from belief. At least that's how I would um, I would think of it. You know, the, you said something that made me think of so often in our Christian life, we have, we have these two areas, right? We have position and then we have experience. And we love the position part, right? We are a child of God and we will forever be. We love that position. And then the experience, that's the hard part. Uh, but when there's great position, there's also going to be some challenging experience. I love your example of taking a bite. You're not, you're not you can you can know all about the chocolate, but until you experience uh, the chocolate, you, you're not you're not going to know the rich the richness of it. Um, <clears throat> I think there's a writer. I think it's uh, Ray Pritchard. He he asked these two questions: Can God be trusted? Uh, 
emphasis on uh, trust, right? Can God be trusted? We would all say positionally, right, with our mind, absolutely. And then he follows up, can you trust God? Emphasis on you. And that's, uh, that's where I have the most challenge, Stephanie. I don't know about you. I know God can be trusted, right? But man, uh, he takes us through some things and we, we say, God, I don't know. I don't get this. I don't understand this. But at the end of the day, I, I have to trust God. How would, you, um, how would you enter into a conversation? I know there's n never one answer for those questions, but how would you enter into that conversation with the person who said, Stephanie, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just disappointed with God? Yeah. Oh, man, I get that. I, I think, you know, both of us, we've probably lived too long to never have felt maybe a little bit of that disappointment with God. And again, I think... There's that, there's always that gap, isn't there, between again, our head knowledge and our heart experience, what you're describing. And I've, I chose to trust God 30 years ago, but I'm still learning what it actually looks like on a daily basis. I mean, his, you know, of course his mercies are new every morning, but that's because we need to learn to trust him every day in deeper ways. And I'm, it's not a one and done. It's a lifetime, just like any relationship, right? So I would say for someone who feels disappointed with God, I would, just like I would ask my own heart. Okay. So if I, let's say I felt disappointed with God, you know, over a particular situation in my own life, I think first I would not be afraid to tell him he can take it. His shoulders are big enough. So I would actually go out and tell God, you know, I'm disappointed in you. I know I, there's something wrong with me because there's nothing wrong with you, but here's how I feel right now. So I wouldn't be afraid to tell him about that because he's big enough to take it. Um, and then I would say, you know, I don't want to stay there. And so I would look at myself and I would say, well, what is it exactly that I'm disappointed about? And chances are, again, we can't generalize, but chances are it's not actually God I'm disappointed in. It's the circumstances that I find myself in, a relationship, uh, a diagnosis of an illness, um, some life change that I don't want, uh, maybe even... Uh, yeah, the death of a dream, like you said, but it isn't actually God. It's a particular set of circumstances. So God hasn't delivered what I was expecting of him, what I was hoping from him, maybe even something I've been praying for years and years. Case in point for me, I came to faith 30 years ago. I'm still the only one in my family of origin to believe. My mom doesn't believe. My brother doesn't. No one in my family believes. And so talk about being disappointed. I mean, I mean, 30 years in, so I could start and go, well, I must be such a praying failure because I've been praying for 30 years. So it's all my fault. And that would be wrong because God is sovereign. Or I could say, well, God, what are you doing? But it's not him I'm disappointed in. It's just that the circumstances are not what I want them to be. So then it would be saying, okay, Lord, then how do you enter into those circumstances? Because to be able to separate between my circumstances and my relationship with God, they are actually, those two things do not always walk in parallel tracks, like train tracks. Sometimes there's a discrepancy between my circumstances and my relationship with God. And so it's not actually God I'm disappointed in. It's my set of circumstances. Well, guess what? Circumstances can change, but God doesn't. And so if I anchor myself in my circumstances, that's only going to grow my disappointment with him, with my perceived disappointment in him. But if I anchor myself more in the relationship side of things, then, well, my circumstances may or not change, but all of a sudden they're not actually the primary focus. And so for me, this exercise looks like making sure in the seasons when I'm disappointed with God, or it feels like that, making sure that I'm 
really opening myself to his whispers and to his wooing so that he will speak into my heart and remind me of my position in him. Because once I am back at remembering who I am in him, then my circumstances, they are what they are. But all of a sudden, they don't matter quite as much as the identity I'm reminded of, of belonging, of you know, being the recipient again of this tender fatherliness that means so much to me these days. So it's not a perfect answer, but for me, like being reminded of who he is and who I am in him. And um, I like to say that I think, I'd love your thoughts on that, Ron. Uh, I think that all of life in our faith can be summed up in a very simple matrix of four squares, where the first one and the most important is who God is. And then what God has done, and that's basically laid out in scripture, in our own lives, there's a lot of what God has done. And then who he is and what he has done, that's the fundamentals. And then who we are and what we are called to do are dependent on those, not the other way around. Because we often think that our circumstances, which is by and large who we are and what we do, they're shaping our view of God. But if it's the other way around, then life suddenly makes sense. And so to approach life, you know, who God is, what he has done, who am I, and what am I called to do in light of his identity and his doing, his being and his doing, and my being and my doing in light of those. Um, that helps me remember that trusting him is always the, the better idea. Imperfectly as I do it. Oh, I do it so imperfectly, but um, he's, his, grace, his grace is real. Tozier says, uh, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And he goes on to say that no, no civilization has risen above their view uh, of God. So I'm going to have you help me with a little sermon prep, all right? I'm going I'm to I, I uh, say this, and then I want you to correct me or, or um, uh, elaborate on it a little bit, right? I'm not going to correct you. Come on, you know that. <laughs> so... Happiness, happiness is circumstantial. So I've been thinking of a better way to say this, but God doesn't want us. God does not want us to be happy. He wants us to be holy because when we're holy, then we have the contentment that really brings true happiness. So play with that a little bit. It's kind of circular mm -hmm. thinking. It gets us back to being happy, and that's what we want. I'm not saying God is a killjoy, but Man, I, I can be happy because uh, I had uh, coconut cream pie for lunch, yeah. which I did, and I'm not happy about that, actually. <laughs> it was a bad decision. Um, uh, but happiness is so circumstantial. Uh, but, man, contentment is in this, this person of God uh, that, that we know and love, and, and, and better, he knows and loves us. So talk about happiness and yeah. contentment. I know it's going to sound like a cliche answer, but it isn't. So bear with me. I mean, Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, that's the opposite of happiness and contentment, it feels like. And yet at the same time, there's a holiness that is being carved into us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is the circumstances we're describing, whatever sh valley that might be. Um, the holiness that, I mean, holy means set apart, right? In, in, in the original. So to be set apart, we want to be set apart. We want to be made holy. Well, are we ready for the chiseling of God, right? I mean, think of, I think of Michelangelo when he would pick Carrara marble to, 
do his statue of David or any of his major works, he would see the finished piece inside that block of marble. And then he'd have to go and chisel big chunks initially. And if marble had feelings, it would be painful and big chunks and then a little hammer for smaller, you know, and then the chiseling and then eventually probably some rubbing, um, you know, to, to just kind of gently get the shape that he wants. And eventually you have the gorgeous statues he's making. Now that's what God does with us. He is not afraid to put a chisel and a hammer to our block of marble because he sees the finished product. And that means walking through the valley of the shadow of death. That's the hammer. That's the chiseling. It does not feel good. But if you continue with the psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now that's contentment. That is contentment. And you reach that contentment once you've gone through the valley of the shadow of death, where you've realized that the happiness, it's, it's, it's for a moment on the tongue, right? It's that square of chocolate. It's that coconut cream pie. And it's not a bad thing necessarily, but the, the contentment of knowing that, you know, that's a story that with Jesus, John 4, uh, when he talks to the Samaritan women and he says, the disciples come back with their sandwiches and he goes like, I've had food that you know nothing about. What is he talking about? He's still hungry physically, but he just has the deeper contentment of having been nourished by doing the will of his father. Now, I still need my chocolate and my food, but to do the will of the father, that's growing in holiness because that's holding in his hand through the valley of the shadow of death. And the question is, what if Jesus is in that valley of the shadow of death? Am I willing to descend to the valley of the shadow of death if Jesus is to be found there? Am I so hungry for my relationship with him that I am going to forego the pleasures of lunch, quote unquote, as Jesus did when he talked to that woman because he was doing the will of his father and his nourishment came in that way. Am I willing to forego the nourishment of temporary happiness because Jesus is going to be found in that valley of shadow of death so that in that holy shadow of the valley of death, I will find the holiness that he is building into me. And then when we exit the valley of the shadow of death together, he and I, then surely goodness and mercy follow me. And the contentment, the contentment just becomes reality. And the thing is too, I would say it's not because we've learned contentment for a season that's always going to remain like that. We have to learn. I have, maybe you don't, but I definitely have to learn contentment time and time again. I lose it. And so this, this idea of, of even holy discontent, um, the older I get, the less satisfied I am with things that worldly things that used to satisfy me. Like I become more difficult to satisfy in a in a holy sort of sense because it's harder and harder to find things that have satisfied me outside of God. And that's what we want, isn't it? And so if that means removing the happiness factor to embrace the contentment that is found in him, um, that's that's not for the faint of heart. He promises it's not going to be easy. So not an easy thing to do, but he promises to walk with us through it. And happiness is a good thing. A joy and contentment, um, that's a lasting thing. God has given you many uh, experiences uh, in your life uh, from your uh, uh, being born and, uh, and, and raised uh, in France, spending time in the States. You have spent time in Muslim uh, countries as um, a global uh, worker. 
Stephanie, when you think of the, uh, that, uh, that statue of David and that marble, right, um, and Michelangelo chipping away at it, as you look back in your life, what would be a time when you said, man, that's when God was doing some really good work? That's when he was doing some chiseling. And maybe it was maybe it was a really really hard time. Maybe it was a great time. I don't know. Just um, I'll I'll leave that open to you. But where'd you say? When I look back in that stage of my life or stretch of my life, God God did some really really good work in uh, in carving me to who who I am today. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, to, to keep it brief, I think I would pinpoint three primary seasons and I'm not going to go into too many details but I think there's a trend because I've seen God work through my outside circumstances to teach me to surrender to his will and his ways at a deeper level so kind of more of a uh, the big hammer to the block of marble where big chunks were coming out where it, it was learning to choose his will over my will and I'm strong-willed so that was a battle and so but that was that was one area and so I would say that was probably maybe 20 years ago um, when he called us out of France into North Africa and then Later, we went through a season when we left North Africa and we settled in the States, we entered a season of about four or five years of deep, confusing external circumstances where the things that were happening to us didn't make sense. And we moved overseas three times in the space of three or four years and our kids were going up. It was a very confusing season. And it felt this time it wasn't so much chiseling the inner need to learn to trust him. It was more learning to trust him in the middle of the storm where literally everything around us didn't make any sense. And so I remember having this impression and I don't know why I keep going back to stones, but somehow that's the theme today. <laughs> like I felt like I had to hang on to that one square foot of solid ground underneath me. And that was my faith. And if that was him, like, and it was my faith in him and my trust in him and everything around me was giving way, except I had to hang on to that one square solid foot and I couldn't move to the left or to the right. I had to stay grounded in him. And so learning to navigate those external storms uh, with my family in a way that honored him. That was the second. And I would say, honestly, the third season was more of an internal storm. And that was even more recent. That was in the last few years of learning to trust him when my inner self is confused. And again, back to what we we're discussing earlier about the confusion. So I think the confusion can come from a, um, in, in the first stage for me, uh, there was a gap between um, what I said I believed and what I actually was experiencing. And so learning to to merge the two and to truly get to a place where I could say, Lord, I really do trust you, not just with my head, but I actually really do trust you, even if it doesn't make any sense. And then another season of saying in the storm around me, I trust you. Uh, and it's not a, I, I and, and this, it was comforting in a way because I knew that I could never have trusted him through that had I not trusted him the years before in that, at that deeper hammering out of the big pieces. And then, more recently, the inner storm of the confusion of, um, I, I think it's typical when you're in your thirties, you're just so full of life and so convinced that you have the world figured out. And then you enter your forties and I'm close to 50 now where you're like, man, all the things I thought I knew, like forget it. Right. And so there's a humility that comes with that. And I embrace it because I've really been asking him for holiness and humility. And these are dangerous prayers to pray because he really actually, man, he, 
honors those prayers. It's terrifying. So be careful what you pray for. But the inner turmoil that has forced me to a place of, of dependence, I think dependence on him is even more than, I guess it's the next level of trust. Before we go, I want, I want, you, to, I want you to spend some time telling us about Gospel Spice your ministry, how people can reach you, how people can watch your podcast and your materials, because you've got, uh, I, I, it's just been amazing to see how God has uh, used you. Stephanie, I remember uh, talking and you were kind of sharing a, a dream, and um, I know it's all God, and I know it takes a lot of work, and uh, and he has blessed you with, with a, well, a lot of opportunities. So just, I just, Tell, tell us about Gospel Spice and how people can be a part of that ministry. Yeah, thank you. Yes, well, God is good. He really is faithful. Um, the dream came, I think, when... So I obviously came to faith in the States uh, through, you know, your hands. You baptized me 30, 30 years ago, man. We're not getting younger. <laughs> and so after that, you know, we I left the States, came back eight years ago. And when I came back eight years ago... and. You know, 30 years ago when I came to faith, it was in the midst of this very, very vibrant Christian community of which you were a leading part. And so when I, we came back eight years ago, I kind of thought that the states were still the same they were 30 years ago. And I thought I was going to reenter a very, very vibrant Christian community. And I found that a lot of Christians... Um, weren't as on fire for Christ as I had found them to be 30 years ago. Not the same people, but a different generation. And so when I came back eight years ago, I realized that um, a generation had passed and people weren't quite on fire for God as they had been before. And so that made me really sad because I, I've seen God use uh, dreams and vision to lead people to him. I've seen that in the Muslim world. But in my case, he used American Christians, regular American Christians who loved him so much. And so it grieved me to see that a lot of American Christians weren't as much on fire for God. And so I felt as long as I'm stateside, my desire is to bring, to be one of those who brings the fire back to people who've lost their fire for God, who have been disappointed with him, who have, who are not making sense of what's happening. And so because he used American Christians, I want to, I have this debt of gratitude to the American church in general. And so I want to come alongside people who feel this disappointment, who feel this confusion, who maybe have grown up in church and they're thinking, well, I should know better. There's, such, there's a gap. They're identifying in their own lives a gap between what they say they believe and what they actually know that they believe. And they don't even know how to bridge that gap. And I think the last few years with COVID have shown us how there is such a gap. And so at Gospel Spice, we want to bring the spice back in your relationship with God. And I do this through, um, we do in-depth Bible teachings. And yes, on the podcast where I alternate teachings and then guests. You've been on the show before as a guest. Uh, and we, we talk about what it feels like to go deeper with God. And I use a lot of cultural analogies, a lot of the first century Jewish culture, because I lived in a similar culture when we were in North Africa. And then I do bring in quite a bit of French uh, element to it just because it's fun and that's what I know. And so what we do is that we want to create a place where people um, have a um, maybe a slightly different approach to scripture, to Jesus, to their faith, so that it clicks at a deeper level. So that's what we try to do. We do this on the podcast, which is for some reason, something God has chosen to bless. Um, and we do this through online Bible studies in 2024. We're going to develop more curriculum around online Bible studies that are going to be video-based and workbook-based, some on the podcast, some independently. So we're working on different formats uh, to be creative and to try and reach the people who, again, who are 
they just are looking at their spiritual spice rack in their spiritual kitchen cupboard and they're like, you know, that spice feels expired or that spice feels stale or I'm tired of always putting out the all-purpose garlic salt and I'm forgetting that in the background of my spice rack, there's cardamom and cilantro and cumin and how do I bring those flavors of scripture to life in my spiritual kitchen? So that's what we do. How can people... Uh, get to know about Gospel Spice? Where can they go to uh, see all the resources and opportunities? Super simple. Gospelspice.com is probably the easiest. You'll have everything there. And otherwise, the podcast, uh, Gospel Spice, you will find on all of your listening platforms. And then our YouTube channel, Gospel Spice, again. So you can find us in all of those areas. So, But gospelspice.com, that's going to be your central hub. I would warmly invite you to check out and subscribe to our newsletter because we have really fun gifts every single month that go out to all of our newsletters, new newsletter subscribers to, uh, again, to serve you, to come alongside you and to make things a little more spicy for you. Stephanie, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us. Thanks. I know you're very busy and I appreciate you taking the time. Well, it takes one to know one. You're way busier than I am. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, uh, it's just been so cool to see uh, what God's done in your life. And again, I want to encourage people to go to gospelspice.com and check out all the resources that you have. You've had some amazing guests on your podcast. And uh, we're just uh, excited to see. Uh, it's exciting to see what you have done. And it's exciting to see, I believe, what God, what God is going to do. So Thank you. And so, yes, if you sign up on the newsletter, the November gift uh, just went out. So it's a bit late for that, but you can still find it. It was a uh, the spice rack of gratitude. And so it was an exercise to um, find gratitude in your own life. And not in a cliche sort of way. We're trying to do it a little differently. But in December, we've got a really cool five-day Christmas devotional with all sorts of extra content. It's like a super big gift for anyone who is uh, on our newsletter list in December. So uh, I would love to invite you to check that out. Maybe it can serve you this Christmas season so that Christmas isn't just yet another cliche Christmas, but it actually is all truly about Jesus. Would you do us a favor? And uh, we're going to we're gonna sign off here. Pray for us. And uh, we've talked um, a lot about the con- chaos and the confusion and disappointment with God. So if you'll pray uh, for those individuals who, man, they related to that, and that's where they are right now, and just uh Pray uh, God's uh, work and and blessing in their lives. Mm, I would be so honored. Thank you. Oh, precious King, beautiful Father, we want to trust you in the storms that don't make sense in our lives. Lord, would you teach us how to really trust you, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it tastes like, in the storms, in the disappointments, in the valleys that we find ourselves in. Lord, the confusion is so real for so many of us, but you know all about it. It's not taking you by surprise. It's taking us by surprise. And that's okay. Would you teach us to accept the confusion if it is the gateway towards trusting you, knowing you, experiencing you, tasting you in deeper ways. Lord, I love to say that to delight in you is the ultimate calling of the Christian life. Would you teach us to delight in you, even amidst the confusion and the disappointment? 
Would you teach us to come to you, to tell you how we feel, to invite you to heal our hearts and our wounds, even if it takes a long time? Would you teach us to make you truly first in our lives? Not just lip service, but it would be truly a reality. Would you teach us and would you show us, I don't know, a month, six months, a year down the road, would you allow us to wake up one morning and to be so content in the presence of you that we would find such contentment in your holy presence that we would realize that you have done that work of transformation and that the confusion has been replaced with your presence and your peace and that we would know that you have been at work in and through us. In your precious, glorious, beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Stephanie, thank you so much. And we look thank forward you. to talking to you again. Thank you. Learning to trust God. Man, that is a lifelong endeavor, isn't it? And it's in those challenging times that God chisels us and makes us into the man or woman that he wants us to be. And he reminds us that his mercies are new every morning. He's a God who can be trusted, and he's a God you can trust. Thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. 